Hello, my friends, and welcome to another episode of the Accidental Tomatoes podcast. I'm your host, Joe Webb, and this is a podcast for spiritual exiles, for all of us who are looking for faith beyond the confines and the fences of institutional religion. This is episode number 32, and if you're tracking by seasons, this is the seventh episode of our second season of the podcast. And our guest for this episode is Reverend Chris Wiley. Chris and I had a really deep and meaningful conversation about disability, ableism, justice, and how disability narratives in scripture can reframe our perspectives that I think you're going to find to be really fascinating. Chris is a pastor, a husband, a father, a poet, a musician, and a strong advocate for people within the disability community. And he's leading some really important conversations that we should all be paying more attention to. So please join me in giving a warm Accidental Tomatoes welcome to my friend, Chris Wiley. Even the the disability narratives in scripture, we focus on the healing part of it, the physical healing, but really it's about restoration to community. And so whatever it is, and I've already mentioned that, whatever it is that keeps people outside of community, we should be working, especially as people of faith, to bring them in because that's what Jesus does. My guest today for the Accidental Tomatoes podcast is a new friend that I've made here during a pandemic uh, time, uh, Reverend Chris Wiley. Um, Chris is from the Buffalo, New York area, and I'm gonna I'm gonna let Chris uh, tell tell the story. But welcome, Chris. I'm so happy to have you on the podcast, and welcome to to Accidental Tomatoes Land. Thanks. Good to be here. Glad to have you. So, why don't you just um, kind of give give our listeners a little bit of an introduction? Tell us a little bit about your story, uh, and then we'll kind of dive in and go from there. Well, I'm a disabled United Methodist pastor. I have served in churches, uh, or I served in churches for about, I don't know, like seven, eight, nine years maybe. And then I uh, was going to have knee replacement surgery, which was uh, just five years ago, or I went to have knee replacement surgery. And I, I have cerebral palsy, so I've always been disabled, but I was able to walk and get around and uh, everything, but I was having some knee issues. So I went to have knee replacement and became more disabled unexpectedly, became a full-time wheelchair user. So now I'm, I'm on disability, but working on a few things, trying to uh, keep things going. And I think that's taught me a lot about ministry, like that God you know, uses you wherever you happen to be at. And, and, uh, as I'm sure we'll talk about, that's what brought us together. Yeah. But yeah, yeah. that's, that's me. I'm a pastor. I'm a musician. Uh, I write some poetry, things like that. And I just try to connect with people. Yeah. That I, ever since we met, one of the first things that struck me, um, and, and this is, I, I think this is kind of what some of what we're going to unpack as we talk about the, the concept of ableism, right. Um, is that I, I think a lot of us, um, are, we, we have this tendency of, of discomfort, right. 
with people who are disabled. And a lot of our discomfort is even the language that we use, right? For, I think a lot of times people sure. don't know exactly what to say. And we, we try de- desperately sometimes to be like ultra politically correct and non-offensive sure. and, and don't know what to say. And it, one of the things that when you and I first met and first started talking, that it struck me uh, and really helped me was um, you, you own that term disabled. Um, and, and that, I mean, I, I, the purpose is not to make people who aren't disabled more comfortable with it. I know, but, um, but, but I find that the, the, the fact that you all, that you and the disability community maybe own that term to be something that the rest of us can really learn something from. Right. Well, that is part of it. I think that that is part of it. It's, you know, to let you know, and it is actually in part for the non-disabled community uh, too, is that it's not a bad word. Disabled just is. Now there's ableism, as you mentioned, and some of those other things that are not good, but those aren't a reflection of the disability itself. I'm disabled, uh, you're non-disabled. I've also heard people say temporarily abled, But one of the things, even if you hear me, like I always use the term disabled, non-disabled instead of abled and non-disabled, which sometimes you'll hear uh, because it takes ownership for me. It puts me, when I'm talking about myself, in the primary position. I'm I'm disabled. You're non-disabled. We're at an equal level. But so often it gets turned around like disabled being the opposite of abled is like, uh, like there's something wrong with it. Yeah, and yeah. That's certainly not the case, but that lends itself to all the ableism and everything else that you mentioned. Right. Right. And that, and the way you describe that, just what I love about that is it removes any sort of um, assignment of value. And it simply is nothing more or less than a, than a label that you can use to describe a part of who you are. Right. That's exactly, that's exactly it. Yeah. But having said that, like, I do want people to see uh, that I am disabled. People will say, well, I don't see you as disabled and things like that. And certainly disability is not the only part of me. I forgot it when I introduced myself that I mentioned being disabled, but I'm a disability advocate obviously in a number of ways and and do a lot of work there too. Uh, I just helped somebody get a wheelchair yesterday and, you know, and things like that, because I, I get it. That's a big part of me. It's not the only part of me, but I definitely want you to see it. When we say, oh, I don't see that part of you. Uh, it's kind of like when, if we say, I don't see race. Mm, and so yeah. we kind of wipe it away. Like, the other problems like ableism in my case don't exist, but they do. And if you kind of wake that part of me away and say it's not there, it allows us to overlook all the things that need to be addressed, I think. Yeah. 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 So um, that term ableism, we've used it a couple of times here and and I think maybe it might be helpful for folks um, who maybe are hearing that term for the first time or, or don't quite understand exactly what it means, or maybe even for those folks who kind of see that as just another, you know, in, in this litany we have of, of politically incorrect words right, or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, but, but help us understand a little bit what we mean when we're talking about ableism. How do you define that? Um, and then maybe beyond that, even 
it might help folks to understand it better if you could describe a little bit about how you experience ableism too. Ableism to me really is about the system. It's about systems and the systemic issues around disability, which uh, certainly exist. And it's about, because there's the big issues, there's the macro issues, and then there's the micro issues, which also exist of ableism, where again, it's putting the, the non-disabled non person in the primary position as the model. Mm -hmm. And the ableism kind of is just what pushes me to the sidelines and things yeah. like that. So just in the same way that we might say that to be racist, it doesn't mean that you hate people of other colors and cultures. It just simply means that you are the beneficiary of systems and structures that are meant to, to benefit you as maybe the, the majority race or whatever, right? Exactly. A That's to, to be ableist doesn't mean that, that you have a grudge or a, a problem with disabled people. It just simply means that there are systems and structures that benefit you that at the same time are harmful to people who are disabled. Right. I guess that might be. Yeah, right. that's exactly it. I don't want to, I was, I tried to avoid the term because I know people are very sensitive to it. And so I try to unpack it a little bit, but that's, it's privilege, right? Exactly. Yeah. It's, you know, and the, and you can have multiple things going on. Like I'm disabled and so I'm marginalized, but I'm also a middle-aged white guy. And right. so in that aspect, I'm, I'm privileged, but yeah, that's exactly it is that it identifies that privilege and that, you know, you, you don't have to face some of the things that I have to face again, that need to be addressed. Yeah. exactly. So what can you just by terms of, by way of example, maybe um, describe for folks, some of the ways that you experience ableism that, that people may not even be aware sure. uh, are going on. Sure. It can be big things and it can be really small things. You know, it can be big things like the pandemic, the, our willingness as it seems to say, well, if we have to sacrifice the old and vulnerable, vulnerable being disabled among them, uh, you know, that's, that's just what we have to do. And that idea is, I mean, surprisingly, the pandemic kind of brought it to light for many people, yeah. but it's, it's always been there that, you know, that kind of you're ranked in a second secondary position. And if there's enough, we'll get to you. But that if there's not, sorry, Chris, you're, you, you know, you have to go and it's not intentional and we care, but you know, and, and so there's things like that, but there's a million other things. There's like, yeah, that's the macro. And then there's the micro, which I also face, you know, the, the sympathetic nods or the fact that I can't stand when I'm preaching. I was, um, I can stand a little bit if I hold on to my wheelchair and things like that. And I was someplace, uh, once before and people just kind of like they infantilize you, right? Like they, yeah. you know, like people coming up, even, even little things that they, it's not intentional harm, but 
unintentionally there's stuff there like people coming up and being like hey you want to see me in my wheelchair and they'll say hey want to race yeah, or yeah. something like that well maybe that's cute but i'm a 52 year old man you know and i'm just you know my wheelchair is just how i get around and so even things like that or terms like you know we'll shy away from the term disabled but we'll use special a lot you know which mm -hmm. is um again infantilizing yeah. you know because that's how it's like oh he has special needs or whatever and i'm not saying people do that maliciously i don't think that's mostly true but things like that you know and then again things like where we'll be going out and people will assume that my wife or my daughter who is now about 14 so she looks a little bit more like an adult like that they're my caregivers and that i i must not be a husband because or at least janelle's husband or hope's dad because they're non-disabled so things like that and i know uh there was one time just recently where somebody approached janelle and uh she's a saint for many reasons but she often gets sainted for taking care of her disabled husband and how hard it must be or people give her you know sympathetic looks kind of that are over my head and you know uh, things like that those things happen every day yeah yeah and then you know the, the obvious access issues too that you know mm. you and i've kind of talked about some of that before that even people in the in the church you know which is is you know ostensibly the folks who should be paying attention to these things um create barriers um you know for folks that are in wheelchairs or whatever um because they simply don't want to spend the money for access or whatever there's many and it's, it is expensive. There are economic issues. I totally get that. But the ADA was 1990 and the church fought actively to be excluded from the ADA, which is the Americans with Disabilities Act, uh, by the way, I mm -hmm. acronym a lot. But, but the Americans with Disabilities Act, people, you know, churches fought against that. And I mean, that's a that's not yesterday. That's been a while now. Yeah, and yeah. people have found money for a lot of other things. And that seems to work out OK. But this is an area where people will say, oh, well, we don't have anybody that'll use it. But why would you? Because I can't like I can't get in. So, yeah, yeah. I, you know, you don't have anybody because you don't have access. And that's just my physical disability and again right. i don't you know you and i have talked about this in the past like i don't see everything it's impossible for me to see because i i live my personal experience but we need to be talking to more people and finding out you know who's being left out and what we can do to address that but those things absolutely exist think about next time you go out even if you just have to go up one step Think about how many one steps there are. You know, I, I've pastored in small communities where they have like the little main street in shops and stuff like that, but I can't get in them because I can't get up the step. Yeah. And, you know, what do you, how, what do you do? And so, and again, that's part of what relegates me to the sidelines. It's not the only thing. I mean, I'm disabled. I have some things that I need to deal with and that, you know, you don't really know kind of how that is going to play out, but, but 
And that's sort of the uncertainty that comes with disability. But life is uncertain for all of us, right? Yeah, so yeah. you never know what's going to happen. Well, that's that comes back to something you you mentioned really briefly a little bit earlier. That idea that um, people in the the non disabled community are temporarily non disabled, right? Mm -hmm. or, or I can't remember exactly your term for it, yeah. but, but but you're right. You know, there's that notion that um, something could happen at any time that changes your life, right? And and that's a good example of ableism. There are many people. I, you know, I make people uncomfortable for a lot of reasons. I'm a, I'm a, I'm a, I'm a little bit of an outsider. You know this about me <laughs> for the listeners. You know, I, I still wear my, you know, nineties grunge flannels and everything. And, you know, and have my big white beard and everything. And, you know, I, I kind of carry that with me, which is certainly part of me but also just the disability. Like we, we think about our representations of, of divine, right. Of God. Uh, it's always perfect. You know, we, it's always about perfection. It's, and there is that, but think about like being, being a minister and people kind of look to you and they don't, we don't really want to confront our own vulnerability and mortality which is also part of the reason I think why we put people in, in, in nursing homes and things like that. And I'm not saying the care isn't necessary sometimes, but it's also really convenient that we, that we isolate people away mm. so that we don't have to be reminded of our own vulnerability and mortality. Yeah. And for people in churches, especially ones who are feeling particularly vulnerable, I mean, church is a place we go sometimes to escape on Sunday morning for a little while. In most cases, you know, the, what's going on in the world. And then I'm there as a reminder of their own vulnerability and mortality, which I think is important. I think that's part of faith, right? It's uh, faith and trust versus fear. But we don't want to think about that. And again, that's ableism, right? It, so Chris makes me uncomfortable because he's a reminder that my body is breaking down too. Mm. And so I don't think Chris should be my pastor, mm. which has happened. Yeah. And that's, uh, it, you know, it's, I guess it's a sad reality. Um, but I, I think you nailed it with, um, with our, our, our desire to mask our own vulnerabilities. Like we, we just don't want to, see those. One of the things that made me think about was, you know, since you and I met, you know, early in pandemic, I don't remember April or May, somewhere around there, probably um, you've, you've started becoming part of our new wineskins community, which is yeah. a virtual um, kind of non-traditional faith community that meets online. And the, the night that you sort of were, were kind of our, our guest, I, I called you a guest speaker, but you weren't really a guest anymore because you'd already been part of the community. Because yeah, I keep showing up. I'm like, a <laughs> but, um, but you talked about um, disability narratives in scripture. And I think that was really eye opening for a lot of us. And, and, you know, that lens that you talk about of that, you know, that um, our hidden vulnerabilities, I think is really important. Yeah, I think. Again, we we tend to overlook that or make it even the, the disability narratives in scripture, we focus on the healing part of it, the physical healing. 
but really it's about restoration to community. Mm. And so whatever it is, and I've already mentioned that, whatever it is that keeps people outside of community, we should be working, especially as people of faith, to bring them in because that's what Jesus does. Yeah. And I think that's what Jesus calls us to do too. Yeah. And one, just kind of along those lines and, and we can go as deep into this as, as you feel comfortable with. One of the things that, that I remember you saying to me at one point when we were talking about that, that notion of disability narratives in scripture and people focus on the miracle, right. And on the healing um, there's, we don't get the stories of the people who don't, you know, receive that miracle, but they are no less loved and accepted in the Jesus community than, than anyone else. Right. And, um, and and it seemed to me that maybe you had told me a a story where you sort of encountered that notion that, you know, people praying over you for your disability to be healed rather than accepting you fully for who you are as a person with a disability. That definitely happens. It happens more times than I care to count. And again, not, not, malicious, not with bad intentions, but it is, that's ableism, right? Right. Is that in, unless you're healed, uh, the, the exact words I've had people say to me in some cases were, I'll pray for you to be healed so that you can be a pastor again. Mm. But it's not about whether or not I can I can walk. My wheelchair gets me around just fine. It's the world around me that excludes me. That's where the barriers are. It goes back to the Americans with Disabilities Act that we mentioned and the mm-hmm. the lack of access and things like that, which uh, intentionally or unintentionally show our, our lack of caring or maybe all of these things or our fear of vulnerability, because that's the thing about vulnerability is it scary, right? Like, I don't want to address my own mortality. I don't want to think that I that I can I, that I'm going to die, you know. But here we are, and we're all going to do it. We all come up and and go down, mm-hmm. you know. And but I don't I don't like to think about that. And so the easiest way for me not to think about that, and I think that's a particular challenge in our westernized. Uh, religious thinking yeah. is that, you know, that that notion of rugged independence, right? right? You're going to pick yourself up by your bootstraps. Mm. If you work hard enough, you know, you'll be able to overcome anything and all that. And that's just not always true. We need yeah. each other. Yeah. Yeah. And that, that sort of transitions to another thing that I wanted to talk about a little bit. Um, when you were doing that that presentation for our new wineskins group a few months ago, um, it came. I can't remember how it came up in the conversation exactly, but um, this idea that um, you know, when we talk about disabled and and people who aren't disabled, like all of that, like it's it's not that you are disabled specifically; it's that you you have been disabled by society, right? It's, yeah. so it's not like the physical disability itself that makes you disabled. It's the societal norms, right? That have, that are really artificially created. Let's be honest mm-hmm. about that. Right. That's what disables you more than the physical condition. Does that, 
It is true that you're referencing what's called the social model of disability, which is just that notion that that the world around me is inaccessible. Again, my wheelchair, I have a friend who and disability advocate who who said refers to his wheelchair as his chariot of independence. Mm. And because my wheelchair helps me get around, it's when I encounter the stairs that I have the issue. Stairs or stairs. I wrote a poem on that a, a long time ago where I did stairs S-T-A-R-E-S and stairs S-T-A-I-R-S. And so, you know, it's both of those things. But the social model of disability for sure is a thing. Like it's it's access. It's those things that we could break down that that we really need to address. Now, both can be true. And in the disabled community, this seems to be uh, more common where, and I've already acknowledged it a little bit, I can acknowledge that my body has the problems that my body has. And also that society uh, excludes me either intentionally or unintentionally. Both can be true. And I think that's the thing that we need to bring to the conversation more is not that specific thing, although that's helpful, but the nuance that yeah, yeah. You know, when you get to know people uh, and, and so, you know, you learn that life is not really black and white, but it's sort of gray. And when you know people, and I'm not just some old and vulnerable person that's okay to be sacrificed, but then I'm Chris who has a 14 year old daughter and, you know, and a wife and a house and a dog and two cats and all the other things, you know, that I do. And that's really the game changer right there is getting to know people. I always say, if you want to exclude anybody, you need to go out and meet more people. Um, because I think that's really the game yeah, changer. Yeah. Yeah. And then that, just that whole idea too, of like, who, who gets to decide what so-called normal even is like who, what, what gives people the right to decide that, you know, that, and that's like, that's a deeper question that, and that speaks into all of these for sure various intersections that, that we've been talking and that I've been talking about on the podcast, like for a year now with, with people is, you know, we, we normalize things and, and a lot of that, like I get it, it's inherited, you know, but until, we start to realize that and and start to dismantle some of those systems. People like you are still going to find themselves coming up against, you know, unfair barriers to to thriving fully as a human being in, in a way you ought to be able to. Right. It's, it's true. Absolutely true. But it's also about control and not just control over Chris, although that ultimately is true. But again, this notion of control, if I, if I, who has the say, well, I do, you know, and again, we do that a lot. Like that's our broken humanity, right? We want to put one over the other and say, this person is in, or this person is out. But again, going back to what I said about uh, fear versus trust, it faith for me is about letting go of the control or acknowledging that you never really had it to begin with 
which is really where the disability narrative, I think, is most helpful. Um, because you don't, you know, that's sort of a myth, right? That you have control over anything yeah. that, that's going to happen to you or not happen to you. Um, so, again, it's all that stuff at play. So, again, whether it's it's done intentionally or maliciously or not, it happens. And I think it happens because we don't want to dig deeper. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, yeah, that fear and control narrative is so prevalent. Um, especially in Western culture, but not exclusively in Western culture, I know. Um, but, but you kind of referenced that American, you know, kind of bootstraps, um, you know, way of thinking that that's so toxic in so many ways. There's a and, lot of people that work awfully hard that a lot of people that work awfully hard that are still poor. Yeah. You know, and they work more than some of the people I know who aren't poor. That's for sure. Yeah. Yeah. And, and it all it all points back to that real common denominator of privilege, like how, you know, and, and you were, you know, you, you mentioned earlier kind of where that intersects. Right. That that even though um, you're a disabled person, you're still a, a 50 plus year old white American male, which does privilege you in certain ways. Right. Yep. The same way, the same ways that privileges me, <laughs> you know, and 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 it's like a, a lot of people get so offended Um when, when you point out their privilege. And to me, like, that's the last thing I want to get offended about. It's, it's the thing that I most want to learn about is where am I privileged in, in ways that, that unprivileged others. Right. And then try to fix those systems and structures. Yeah. I don't even say it when I talk about privilege or anything like that, it's not even really, about it's not putting me above you or taking you out yeah, of the yeah. equation. It's about equity. It's about bringing other people to the table. And, and it's, it's hard, man. You know, one of the things that I keep thinking in the back of my mind as we're talking is how ableism, and I've certainly dealt with this until I had no choice, but to confront it was, is internalized ableism. We internalize all these things that we're told in the world around us, right? That, that, you know, you're disabled, so your worth is less, or you're poor, so you're not working hard enough. Mm, or yeah. if you just do more, you can overcome it. Overcoming disability is a, is a very common notion. If you look at movies, a lot of times, there's two acceptable disability narratives. One is the overcomer, the inspiration, and the other is oftentimes they're not disabled in the beginning and they become disabled. So then they want to die. So either, either I'm an overachiever, a super achiever, or I, or my life has no value and I want to end it. Sorry to interrupt the conversation, but I wanted to take just a minute to thank some of the folks that help us make the Accidental Tomatoes podcast happen through our Patreon giving platform. For as little as $2 a month, you can be part of a growing group of people who are committed to helping create and curate all the great content for the Accidental Tomatoes community. We're grateful for the contributions of all of our patrons, and I'd like to recognize our master gardener level contributors, Jen and Harry Morgan and Kevin and Heather Malcolm. 
To learn more about how you can support this podcast and the community we're creating, just go to patreon.com slash accidental tomatoes. You can also support our work by simply leaving us a rating and review on your favorite streaming app. That helps other folks find our community and participate in the conversation. And now, back to the podcast. There was a term that you you had used once when we were talking about. Was it um, inspiration porn? Inspiration porn. That's what it was. Yeah, that was that was the term I was looking for. Yeah. Insp- inspiration porn. Yeah. Is and I didn't I didn't come up with the term certainly, but it's that notion that I'm so inspiring just because of my disability. Now, what I do might might be a really good thing and and hopefully it encourages you encourages you to go and do likewise, right? Again, that's Jesus, right? Yeah, and if we're yeah. living that out, then we're all trying to do that. But but like getting out of bed in the morning just because I'm disabled is not really an inspiration. I get out of bed <laughs> just like everybody else, you know, and and you know, and do all those other things and or, you know, that I have a family. Well, a lot of guys have families. And so here guys and, and women, yeah. <laughs> obviously, you know, but and variations, but, but, you know, what are you, what are you inspired by? Is it just that, oh, he makes me feel good. Where's the, where's the focus? Yeah. He makes me feel good. Is it about you or is it about me and including me, you know, and that's often the difference. And then, that whole, again, infantilizing, which uh, Stella Young, who was a fierce disability advocate, she's passed now, but she said something that I really, really like when people are like, you know, just be more positive or some of those kind of ableism things that come up where she said no amount of smiling at a flight of stairs ever turned it into a ramp. Mm. And that's absolutely true. Yeah. I mean, I can be, I can be as inspirational as you want me to be and, you know, and, and keep a good face on it and, you know, allow you to be complacent because again, it lets you think we're doing pretty good. Look how happy Chris is, you know, and I'm not mm-hmm. saying Chris shouldn't be happy, but Chris should be included. Yeah. yeah. And, and so should everybody else. So, you know, and again, I can't, I can't until that day comes that I can turn those stairs into a ramp with my bright smile, then let's keep working. Yeah. Amen to that. Amen to that. Well, a couple, uh, just to kind of shift directions just a little bit, a, a couple of things that, um, that I want to make sure that we get in uh, during our conversation um, is, you know, you mentioned this earlier, you're more, you are more than your disability. Um and I'm glad to be able to say that as a friend of yours, but, but you are also, you know, a writer and a poet and a musician and, you know, all of those other things also contribute to your identity. Um, so I guess um, th- there was a piece, I, w- I think it was this week at our new wineskins gathering. Of course, by the time this airs, it will be several weeks ago, <laughs> but um, there, there was, there was a poem you had written from kind of a prompt set that you shared with our community that I think was really impactful for a lot of us. And I wondered if you would mind uh, if you would share that and then and then let's unpack a little bit of um, what it is that you're saying in that poem. Because I yeah. think it's something that our 
I think our listeners are going to connect with that in the same way that the folks in our community did. Yeah. And I love poetry. I love writing and I don't love writing actually. That's a lie. I don't love long form writing, but I love wordplay. I love lyrics. I love poetry, things like that. And this one uh, was inspired by uh, John Lewis, maybe uh, it's titled Good Trouble. The prompts in the, I follow some uh, some prompts, some poetry prompts on Twitter. And so sometimes I'll pick those up and, and write about them because it forces you to focus, focus right, in a way yeah, you might not yeah. otherwise, kind of like using the lectionary, mm, yeah. um, which is, you know, the pre-formatted system for the, those folks. How would you describe the lectionary, Joe, while I'm pulling this up? How would I describe the lecture? Well, just in terms of definition for folks that might not understand the term, it's, it's a system um, that, that a lot of faith communities, churches, denominations use um, to basically go through the entire Bible in, in a three-year cycle, right? And so there's a year A, a year B, and a year C if your community follows it. And over the course of those three years, there are selected readings, you know, from Old Testament and New Testament, gospel writings, uh, epistles, those kinds of things. And over the course of the three years, you walk through the entire biblical narrative. But what it, it's a framework, right? It's It's <clears throat> the way I tend to refer to the lectionary is it's a liturgical framework, you know, and so if liturgy literally means the work of the people, the lectionary is a way by which people liturgically together go through the biblical narrative. So, yeah. So in that way, but you know, for me, the lectionary, one of the things it does is it makes me look at scriptures. Like I, I have my favorites. I'm sure you do too. And if I don't ever look at the lectionary and I don't always, but if I don't look at the lectionary, there's plenty of things that I might not ever have to think about. Well, yeah, what can and, I possibly and, and say and about Not just that? the things that you don't read, but you just don't engage with them at all then, right? Right. Yeah. So that's kind of what the prompts do. And the prompts in this case, uh, there were two, were uh, terminal and overflow. So again, the poem is Good Trouble. And here it is. Hatred, our most terminal fate, perpetuated by lies of superior race, reinforced young, kill off the old, powerful hoarding their silver and gold. But we have good trouble, won't be undone, resist with the forces of heaven above, knowing we ultimately reap what we sow, onward we go till love overflows. Mm. That's, I, I love that line about we have good trouble won't be undone, right? That, I, I love the juxtaposition of um, of not accepting the status quo uh, and the continued push for justice and full inclusivity. Like that's that's just what I hear in that one line. And, and yeah, it's absolutely it's so John Lewis, right? So. It's faith over fear, right? Like the world around us tells us otherwise. There's all kinds of things I could just throw my hands up in the air and say, I, I, I can't address any of this, or I can't, let me say it another way. I can't address all of this. So I'm not going to address any of it. Oh yeah. And, but if you, if you look around, if you let go, if you have just a little bit of hope that glimmer, it's that, you know, it's 
that light shining through, right? Uh, that you you know, there's opportunity there, and that's how we keep going forward. And that's kind of what that's about for me is like, you know, there's a world filled with hatred, but ultimately we keep going forward because love overflows. Yeah. Yeah. It's beautiful, man. I I just love that. I just love that sentiment. And it's, um, you know, it sort of reminds me that that old yarn, you know, the only way to eat an elephant is one bite at a time. Right. In fact, I think you said that the other night at new wineskins, we were talking about something else that, um, but it's just, you know, it, it is so easy to be overwhelmed by all of the negativity and all of the problems. And especially during a global pandemic, when all, all of it just seems to be caving in sometimes. And you just wonder like, what, what little thing can I do and, and how little difference will that make? Um, but you still got to take the bite out of the elephant, you know? Um, yeah. What can I do? What's right in front of me? You yeah. Know? Yeah. And, and that love ultimately love wins, right? Yeah. Like that's a big thing for me. That's really important. And by the way, I think, you know, this, but for the listeners, uh, my daughter's name is hope and my daughter's name is hope for a reason. It's, and it's not just so that I can tell it to you, but so I can remember it for myself. Mm. Right. That's a very pastor thing. Like people yeah. think, Oh, we're preaching to them, but really we're just trying to hold on to it for ourselves. <laughs> yeah. Some, somebody told me once that as a pastor, the, the most powerful sermon you can give is the one you need to hear the most. <laughs> yeah. I mean, preaching to the choir literally, or, and, you know, hopefully not the choir. Well, wait a minute. I don't want to, how do I say this? Because, you know, I, 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 I'm a musician and I've been writing songs and singing a little bit. I was going to say, I was going to say, uh, you know, maybe I'm not part of the choir, but, Hey, you know, I don't want to say that because I want people to come and hear my music maybe. Yeah. So, uh, I really sing very well. You Actually. do. I, I, I've I've listened to some of your stuff, and I guess that kind of that probably gives us a, a segue to kind of to to wrap this conversation up. Um, is you, you know you've you've got some interesting work out there that you're doing um, online uh, for the world to to see and hear. And so, um, what kinds of things are you working on, and and where can people connect with you? Well, it's an interesting thing. I had, I had a friend who is a rapper. He wasn't a friend yet, but this is kind of how, this is just part of my charm. You know, he came up to me uh, before a show and then he was doing, he was opening for another, another act. And he said, Hey, thanks for coming. And so I thought, okay, that's nice. But, you know, I went up to read a little bit about him and then I went and we talked and I said, I could never, he does like freestyle rap and things like that. MC Lars, if anybody, you know, if anybody's interested, he just released a really cool Bible album, um, which I thought, I think is amazing. But uh, he got a lot of other good stuff too. And he said to me, I said, I could never do what you do because he does this amazing freestyle rap, people handing him things out of their pockets and stuff. And he incorporates them in on the spot. Yeah. 
And he said, sure, you can do just use scripture. And so I took that home and I started thinking about it a little bit. And, you know, that's, that's part of it. Like faith again, informs a lot of, of my experience. So I started writing a little bit and then I met another guy uh, at another show, Sam Baker, who was a disabled uh, musician. And he said, you know, I write a lot of stuff just using GarageBand and because it lets you put stuff together in a way that maybe is hard to play. Like you can edit it and move things around and put it all in sync and all that. And so I took those two things and just started doing stuff. That's been my pandemic, right? That's the thing that's helped keep me going. And, and Janelle, my wife, has gotten involved because as I've told you before, Joe, she's the tech. I don't, I can do the creative pieces, but <laughs> she has to help me put it all together, right? So I started recording some music and then, you know, and just as a means to put it up, to like save it, I started posting it on YouTube. So I can be found on YouTube there at Rev, R-E-V, Chris Wiley, W-Y-L-I-E. And uh, on Twitter, that might be the easiest way to really find me because, uh, you know, get lost in the searches is Crip, C-R-I-P, Pastor, P-A-S-T-O-R, uh, that's my handle over there. Yeah. So if you follow me there, that has a link to my YouTube and things like that. So I'm working on some music as I'm able to do that. And there's going to be more coming. I don't want to give any surprises. <laughs> no but, spoilers. You know, no keep spoilers. an eye on it and and all that. And But that's how you can find me, Twitter or YouTube, Crip Pastor. And, it's it's or, a solid Twitter follow, listeners, I'm telling you. Yeah. It's, uh, Chris has got a lot of really good things to say out there in the Twitterverse. I, I'm, I'm always at least I think uh, I do. <laughs> I think that's how we all use Twitter, right? Is you know somebody's got to hear this. Say, so we, but uh, but some some of them are worth it, and yours is definitely one of them. Well, my friend, I'm so glad that that you joined us uh, for this conversation today. Um, I'm really excited for the Accidental Tomatoes community to get to know you. A little better, and um, and and hear some of these really important things that you have to say. As we're all trying to to grow into this this new world, and um, and try to really be people who seek justice in the world, and and seek to be people of compassion and mercy, and um, and just kind of do this whole thing a little bit better. So, thanks, thanks so much for being with us. Thanks, it's my pleasure to be here and uh, to do my small part. All right, my friend, we'll talk to you soon. Take care. Thanks again to Chris for his really open uh, vulnerability and his deep authenticity in that conversation. I hope it will open your thinking up to how ableism uh, is such a barrier uh, to all of us um, trying to thrive together in community. And I hope it inspires you to take action in your own spheres of influence to, to help remove some of those barriers. If you're interested in some of the content we're creating and curating for the Accidental Tomatoes community, you can find us online at accidentaltomatoes.com, where you will find all of the episodes of our podcast, as well as uh, some regular blog features that we're now starting to incorporate. 
Um, and across the social media world, you can find us at Accidental Tomatoes. As always, if you have any ideas or suggestions for future podcast topics, I would love to hear from you. You can find us and contact us through our website, message us on social media, or send us an email at accidentaltomatoes at gmail.com. And if you enjoy this podcast, please be sure to rate and review us on whatever platform you use to listen to your podcast. That goes a long way in helping other people find us and connecting with our community and participating in the conversation. And once again, if you'd like to support the work that we're doing at Accidental Tomatoes, you can donate through Patreon, where your support helps us to offset some of the expenses of producing content for our community. Just go to patreon.com slash Accidental Tomatoes to learn more. So until next time, keep on growing outside the fences and join us again for another episode of the Accidental Tomatoes podcast.